are we? Mr. Ben? Where's Miss Ben? All right, there he is. <laughs> I love that dude. I, uh, I don't know about you. I, uh, me and Adrian, uh, who's the beauty right, right here on the stage, which is so fun that she's up there again after a long hiatus. Good to have you back. Uh, but uh, me and Adrian have uh, the same kind of pattern, sleep pattern. We go to bed at the same time. We wake up kind of close to the same time. And so it is very normal for us to you know, make sure that we're all together at the same time at night. Now, um, the other night, uh, that didn't go so well. She was working on a project for kids at Cane Bay. And, uh, and so I went to bed. It was late, like midnight. She was still working on it. And so I just, I just went ahead and went to bed. And the strangest thing happened that kind of really freaked me out. I woke up. And she was not there. Now, to me, sleep is like a major commodity. Like, you don't miss that. And so, I, I was, it, was, it freaked me out that I, I was like a little kid. Like, I, I woke up, and she was not there. It was really strange to me. There was this, like, tense, very anxious spirit with me. And so, I'm like, where is she? I walked upstairs uh, to kind of my office, or we share an office kind of deal. I walk up there, and she's sitting on the floor on her computer. It's daylight, and she has been there the entire night doing an all-nighter as a 31-year-old, right? I mean, like, and, and, and I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? And she's like, she's like, oh, I just, I just didn't want to get, stop working. And so, like, she, and she's like, I used to do this when I was in college. I'm like, who are you? And like, I, it was this moment of anxiety and I don't know who you are anymore changing and evolving into a person that I don't understand because I really want to know, like, I really want to know you. Like, I don't, I don't like having things about her that I don't know. And she did, had this whole mysterious night of work that I didn't get. Right. And we are, and all of us are like that. We like to know about who, like who we are. We like to ask that question. Who are you? Now we don't do it in person very much because every, like every uh, major technological advancement in the last like 20 years have always been about relationships, the internet, uh, let's see, video messaging or uh, text messaging or, uh, I mean, uh, just the invention of the telephone, and especially this idea of social networking, Facebook and Twitter and all sorts of other stuff like that. All those technological advances are all to bring about better community, better relationship with one another, because we want to ask that question, who are you? I want to know who you are. I want to know everything about you. I want to know about your past. I want to know what your job is. I want to know what you're doing today. I want to know what you're having for lunch today. All of these things, I want to know that about who you are. Now, I know that if I want to know anything about anybody in this church, I just ask Danielle Douthat and she will tell me because she's a spy. <laughs> just ask her. She knows your address by heart. It's a little weird. Um, anyway, but like, I mean, so there, I just want to know who you are. And the biggest question screaming out to us is, who are you? And what's interesting is we don't ask that question of God. We never do that. God, who are you? And the reason why is because we um, might be disinterested in who God is. Uh, We might be a little bit lazy and not really asking that question. Uh, we might have a good bit of fear that maybe God doesn't want us to ask that question. Or that we have grown up with some kind of unfounded reverence for who God is, and we say, 
no, I'm, I shouldn't ask that question about who God is because I'm fearful about what he might say. I'm fearful that he, that I shouldn't ask that question for some reason, that that brings a lot of anxiety within me. And maybe I just don't want to know. But here's the fun part is God wants to answer that question. He wants us to ask, who are you, God? And he wants to answer. That's the best part. I mean, the whole scripture is about answering that question about who God is in relation to us. And so it is okay to be curious. And it is certainly okay to stand in front of God and say, God, who do you think that you are? I want to know. And I want an answer. And what's fantastic about God, God has created you. And he wants to answer that question. And so what I want to do today is answer that question together. I want to search that out. I want to figure out. Who is God at the most kind of primal, uh, big level that we could possibly think about him? Now, we're doing this series called Beginning, so we're all the way in the front of your Bible. This is not going to be hard to find if you've got a Bible. Uh, turn the first couple pages, Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. Now, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture even before that, but don't freak out. Just stay right there in Genesis chapter 1. Now, if you're an Ivy Leaguer and you really want to get ahead a little bit, you can put your finger right there in Genesis chapter 1, and then you can turn to John chapter 1 in the New Testament. Now, if you want to cheat on the back side of your, uh, of your bulletin, I believe, are both of those scriptures, okay? Uh, and so they will be there for you. Now there's going to be a lot of scripture up on the stage. I don't, ex- uh, up on the screen. I do not expect you to turn to all of those, but there is going to be a good bit of scripture today, which I'm pretty excited about. So I'm pumped about answering this question, but here's a little warning. I'm going to need you to think today. I'm going to need you to put, put on that thinking cap. Now I know that it is summertime and that's not what we're particularly interested in. Now, some of you flunked out of school. You're back in. Okay, today, back in. And I know that you're excited about this. You guys excited about this? All four of you. Awesome. Uh, good. You are excited about this. Good. Okay, so here's, here's the fun part. We're going to learn about who God is today at the very biggest level. And this is why this is important. In Titus chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, that's a big word that simply means what God is all about. That we should teach as a church. It is my calling as your pastor to teach you the truths about who God is. And I have to teach that soundly. Now, I got to be honest. Normally, my, my sermon prep for this stuff is, you know, somewhere around 10 to 12 hours a week. This week, is it, it was just all over the place. It was upwards of 30 hours a week. Not to be proud of that. But I'm just telling you that this week was mind-blowing. Like, I was just kind of... it was hard for me to wrap my mind around this concept. So I'm just telling you, I'm warning you, I want you to think. I want you to stay with me, and I want you to think deeply about who God is. Okay? So here's the deal. And this is what this scripture is going to be about today, and why we're going to read this. And here, when we ask this question, who are you, God? God is going to answer back this answer. Ready? You write this in your notes. God exists as a trinity. God exists as a trinity. Now, trinity is more than just a cool character on the Matrix movie, okay? There is this, he is, if you were to ask this question, who is God? He is going to answer back, I am trinity. I am a, I'm a God of trinity. Now, here's the deal. That is a systematic thought. It is not, you will not find the word trinity inside of your Bible, Nowhere will you find it. It is a systematic doctrine by taking the entire or the whole of Scripture, 
reading all of it and coming, coming about with a system about who God is. And this guy named Tertullian, Tertullian in the third century came up with this word Trinitas, or we then put it in English, Trinity, which simply means that God is one God in three persons. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Now, why do we believe this? We believe this because it is, it is said over and over and over again in the scripture. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit show up all over the place, sometimes all together, sometimes separate. It's just everywhere that God is, in fact, a trinity. However, this whole concept is going to be very, very difficult for us to gather and for us to understand because it is outside of human logic. Now, this guy named Augustine, a very smart dude, said this, If you deny the trinity, you will lose your soul. If you try to explain it, you will lose your mind. And he's very right. The Trinity is truthful. It is what the scripture says about who God is. Now, God is the creator. David last week talked about how God stands outside of creation. And so, therefore, he stands outside of human logic altogether. So, just because something is not logical to us or doesn't make any sense, doesn't not, it doesn't make it untrue. The very fact that God is a Trinity is true it might not be fully logical to us. So it's going to be a little bit difficult to comprehend. However, this does not mean that we shouldn't study it, that we shouldn't pursue it. We shouldn't just throw in the towel and say, you know what, you're already telling me that I'm not going to comprehend it, so you know what, I'm kind of done with this. I'm going to stay on my surface level of my faith. I'm going to stay on the surface level about who God is. And I'm not going to journey into this deeper thought because I can't comprehend it. You're already telling me that I can't comprehend it. Why should I even try? And the reason is because the little bit that we know about God will help much in helping us understand who we are. Let me say that one more time. I think I'll put it on the screen. Through understanding God a little bit, we will grow much in our understanding of ourselves. If we can just grasp just a little bit, we will, it will help us to understand a little bit of how God is and a lot about who we are. And we get, grab this big picture. Now, when I was this week, I had the idea that I was going to put together a ceiling fan. Anybody ever put together a ceiling fan? Anybody ever, ever put together a ceiling fan and not cuss? All right. Sweet. Like I was putting together a ceiling fan this week and I had this bright idea that I was going to actually have my, my 16 month old daughter in the room with me while I was putting up a ceiling fan. Like there was expletives like, you like, I mean, it's just, it was, it was terrible. And I'm like trying to follow the directions. I'm a directions guy. I'm trying to put this together. I'm taking apart things that shouldn't be taken apart, trying to put together things in the wrong hole. And it was, it was horrible. And then I get to the very end. I'm flipping through the directions one more time. And on the first page, it shows the entire outline of the fan. And I missed that page. If only I had seen that one page, how the whole thing comes together in one beautiful spinning contraption. I'd be able to know a little bit better about how to put it together. And I think that's, that's a little bit about the Trinity. If we can understand this kind of larger concept, a lot of the small things about our faith will come together pretty, in a pretty amazing way. And so that's why I want you to grasp this truth. Okay? So let's, let's, let's dive into this. A definition of the Trinity. If you're taking notes, this is it. Definition of the Trinity is this. The Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are each fully and equally God. Let me say it again. 
The Trinity is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are each fully and equally God. Now I'm going to walk through that definition a little bit and kind of break it down. Number one, there is one God. Now say that with me. Here we go. There is one God. <laughs> Wait a minute, I messed it up. I'm sorry. Let's just say one God. There is one God. Very good. Okay. Now here's what the scripture says about this in Deuteronomy 4:35. It says this, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. It's in the Old Testament. Another Old Testament verse, this is the Shema or something that the Israelites would say over and over and over again as an act of worship. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, give it to me, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, or your might. The Lord is one. Now, skip forward to the New Testament. It says this in Ephesians 4. This is the Apostle Paul. It says this, one God and Father of us all. How many gods? One God. So you have this universal, truthful concept throughout the entire scripture that God is one. There is only one God. Now, you, if you're smart and you've kind of studied a little bit and you've thought about other religions, you might have thought... But there's other gods to other religions, isn't there? What do we do with those? And here's my answer for that. If there is only one true God, what do we make of all those other gods? Here's my answer. Sometimes we think that if we believe that there's only one God, then all those other faiths and all those other religions that have different gods, we just pretend that they, are, they do not exist. That they are simply unicorns. They are the chupacabra. I mean, they are, they're, they're figments of imagination. Now, when I went to Haiti a couple weeks ago, I was talking with some of the missionaries there, and most of the Haitians are voodoo. They come from a voodoo heritage. Voodoo is a religion, and it has lots of different gods. And you, I asked one of the missionaries, I said, do you believe in voodoo? He said, yep. I said, Don't, aren't you a Christian? Yep. But you believe that voodoo exists? Oh, yeah. Why? Because I've seen it. I've seen the power of it. I've seen voodoo act. I've seen voodoo things happen. I've seen spiritual things go down that you've never even seen in your life. And here's the truth. There is only one God, but there is also a very satanic force that is against God. And those different gods have names, and their names are Allah. They might be, have names like Malik, or they might have names like Mother Earth, or they might have things like Buddha, or they might have names like Brahman. These are very, very powerful, powerful spiritual beings that really do exist. And they are in league with Satan and they are the enemy of God. So it is not for us to think that these gods or demons don't exist. They very much exist. And they are very much powerful beings. And they very much can do things in this world that we will not comprehend Are they living and active? Absolutely they are. So are these people who are all sorts of other faiths believing in something that is real? Yes, they are. They are just believing in something that is not the one true God. And so we as Christians believe in one God and we worship that one true God who exists as Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. So number two, this one true God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we see throughout the entire scripture, and it's universally known that God is Father. We see God as Father. Even pagans believe that, that God is known as Father. It's everywhere in scripture. You can see that. Verse after verse after verse, that God is Father over all. Now, God is also Son, and that Son is Jesus. Now we see Jesus, the very reason that he was crucified and that he rose again and that he was crucified was the very fact that he claimed to be God. He claimed himself to be God. They accused him of saying that he was God and he didn't deny it. And then they crucified him for it. Now, then he rose again to show that he was God, which is magnificent. And then Thomas, one of his apostles, actually bends down, bows down to him, worships him, and says, My Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't stop him. Why? Because he knows that that's true. So you have Father, who is God. You have Son, who is God. And then you have this this other one that we don't know very well, the Holy Spirit, which is also God. In the New Testament, it talks about how we can grieve the Holy Spirit, that we can sin against the Holy Spirit. The only way that we can sin against the Holy Spirit is as if he was God himself. Now, God, now, this Holy Spirit creates. The Holy Spirit encourages. The Holy Spirit comforts, just like God does, because he is God. So you have one true God who eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call those persons, right? And this is where it gets a little tricky. Number three, here we go. Although they are all one God, they are all three distinct persons. They are all three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Holy Spirit is not the same as the Father. Jesus is not God the Father. He is Jesus the Son. And the Spirit is not simply the Spirit of God. He is his own entity or his own person. So what we have in the Trinity, and this is where it gets very hard to comprehend and understand, is that we have one God who eternally exists in in three persons. You have one and three coexisting together at the very same time. And the the words that we use are, they are of the same essence, they share and they are fully God, and they are distinct, but they are distinct in their personhood. Now, this is when Pastor Charlie decides that he wants to illustrate this for you the best that he can. But that will go horribly wrong (laughs) uh, as I try to illustrate this, okay? Um, now, there's a lot of people that will say that, that the Trinity is kind of like water. That water can exist as ice, liquid, and gas. And I can't show you gas, but just pretend there's gas, right? Right. That, that, that's kind of how the Trinity works. That you have, you have kind of this one substance, but it can exist as three different substances. Now, I wish that that would work, but it doesn't. Because it can't be, water can't be ice and water and gas all at the same time. It can only be one of those at at one time. So although we think that our human brain can kind of understand that, it doesn't work. Now there's also some people who have said that the Trinity is kind of like an egg. They have three different things. You have the yolk, you have the white stuff, and then you have the shell that makes up the entire egg. Although it's a wonderful illustration, it it doesn't work. Because if you just had the shell, you wouldn't have an egg. If you just had the yolk, you wouldn't have an egg. You would just have the yoke. So it's the same, it's the same concept with the, it's the, the concept with the Trinity is that he is all three at the same time and all three are equally and fully God. 
Okay. Now here's, here's a cool one. And this, uh, this sits on our breakfast table. It's a beautiful little plant. Uh, and this is a three leaf clover plant. Now, if you, uh, back in St. Uh, St. Patrick's day in March, uh, we, we love this little plant it sits on our, and we talk to our kids about this. And we use this plant, Adrian and I use this plant to help illustrate to our kids what the Trinity is like, because you have three leaf clovers, right? And this is what St. Patrick would use to go throughout the entire Ireland uh, countryside and explain who the Trinity was. And he would show the Irish, this is a clover. It is one clover, but it exists in distinct three persons, okay? And, and so uh, it's a beautiful illustration. I would encourage you to go ahead and get one from the store. You can get one at Lowe's, I think. And uh, we'd love for you to get one because they're really illustrates. And here's the cool part. When the sun goes down, they go together like they're praying. Isn't that cool? Okay. I think it's cool. Um, Anyway, but you do, you have this beautiful illustration of a plant, one clover, three parts, three distinct parts. However, as you can see, it doesn't, you cannot have, one leaf cannot be the entire clover. And so it has, it's more distinct than that. So I really wish that I had some kind of way, and people have tried numerous times to try to illustrate this and kind of put this in human logic. I can't illustrate it for you, but what I can do is show it to you in scripture, Okay. Um, so here's, here's some, some scriptures that you might recognize. This is the birth of Christ. It'll be up on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, who is the Son, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the, who is it? Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, who is Father, and David told you last week, Elohim, the strong one, that there's an angel coming down from God, the Father in heaven, appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, son, and he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord, or Father, had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall give, conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God, Father, with us. God, with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus, the son. So you have all three members of the Trinity working within that story. A very famous story that we know backwards and forwards because we celebrate it every Christmas. Now here's the baptism of Jesus just a couple chapters later in Matthew. Uh, then Jesus, the son, came from Galilee to, be, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do, uh, do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it, uh, let it be so now for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented and when Jesus was, was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold the spirits were open, uh, I'm sorry, the heavens were open to him and he saw the... Holy Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice or the Father speaking from heaven said, This is my beloved with whom I am well pleased. You see Jesus in the water, the Spirit descending, the Father speaking. You have all three in one place. Then the ascension, Jesus later on, after his death and resurrection, he ascends into heaven. This is what happens. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, 
Jesus. This is he's now they're calling him Jesus. They're calling Jesus the Lord. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come unto you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's just a few. That's just a few passages where the, where the entire Trinity shows up. If God planning things in this ascension piece, you have Jesus ascending to heaven. Then he says, I'm going to give you one, this Holy Spirit that's going to come down. It's amazing. As Jesus goes up into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down onto humanity so that he's with us. Now, you might ask, what does all of that have to do with the beginning? Why am I holding my finger in a place that you haven't even read yet? Okay, what does that have to do with this idea of the beginnings? All those were New Testament passages about Jesus. Does that mean that the Trinity was kind of born into place when Jesus shows up on the scene? No. The Trinity was there at the very beginning. Remember I said in our definition that that the Trinity is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are each fully God and equally God. And this has always been of the Trinity. Now, here's where it really gets fun. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks it's fun, but it's really going to get fun. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. Here's what it says in your Bible. You can read this. In the beginning, now David talked about this last week, God or Elohim or the strong one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was all over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So what we see there is we see Father, Elohim, the strong one, and then you also see the Spirit at the very beginning of creation. Now what you don't see is the Son. You don't see Jesus there. Or do you? Here's something fun. The word beginning in Hebrew, or rehi, actually means firstborn. It is a synonym of the word beginning. And so really, if you were a, uh, if you were a Jewish scholar who read Hebrew, this is how you would read Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, by the firstborn... Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So at the very, very beginning, you have the son creating. You have the father creating. You have the spirit present hovering over the face of the waters. You have all three members of the Trinity fully involved, fully engaged from eternity past. And they are in this eternal relationship with one another. And that's why John, if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, who is, a, who is a Jew who would have learned all of his life that this Trinity exists. And that's why in the first couple verses of his gospel, he says this, in the beginning, which mimics Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word, or the firstborn. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without without him was nothing that was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was, was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. John knows that this is the Trinity. John knows that there is something amazing about who God is. And so he's going to state, as he tells the story of Jesus, he's going to state that Jesus has always been, he's eternally existed, he was there at the beginning, he reads John 1, in the beginning, through the firstborn, Elohim created, and the Spirit was there as well. So in the beginning, from eternity past, You have this beautiful relationship of one God and three persons, an amazing relationship, eternal relationship with one another. Now, why in the world do you need to know that, right? What the heck does that mean for me? And that is a very, very, very good question. God has always been and always will be self-sufficient. He does not need anything. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been in relationship with each other for all of eternity. Now, it's not as if that God got bored and just said, you know, I'm kind of bored with these. I'm, you know, the Father's just like, you know, Jesus is, he's really bad at backgammon. And so I am, uh, I need a, like, I need something else to do, right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create the heavens and the earth just to play around and see what happens. That's not what's going on. God wanted to create because he wanted to show his relationship within the Trinity and have the same relationship with his creation. And that's why, and Joel preached about this in in about three or four weeks, that God gives to us the same image of God. When we're created in the image of God, that means that we're created relational beings. We're not created to be by ourselves. And so this grace that God has within himself, he gives to us. And he wants us to reflect that same relationship. And so when we have this story of Jesus, it's a story of grace. It's a story that Jesus, remember, leaves his place in heaven with God that he has always been in. Anybody ever been, anybody ever been homesick, right? You have Jesus who eternally existed, leaves his, his, like where he was, his relationship with the Father and the Spirit, leaves and actually comes down onto earth to be with us, to share with us the relationship that he has with the Father. That's why he's so close to him and the spirit works within him. And he does that so that he might be able to have that relationship with us so that we might not be alone in our, in our eternal existence either. And so we have darkness that is very much given the light by Jesus. And this relationship is for you and it is for me. And we can have a very strong relational community with God because he's given that to us. And he's created us to be relational beings. Now, when we study the, the, the Trinity, it helps us in two ways. These are a couple of things I want you to take notes on. When we study this, this is what this means. It helps us in our relationship with God. How does it help us? When we stand back, and if you've been confused, I've been confused too this week. When we stand back and look at the Trinity, it brings about a good bit of humility. Why? Because we stand in awe of something that we don't understand. It's wonderfully mysterious. 
you're probably thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to walk out of this room and kind of, I'm not really going to get what Charlie was saying today. I understand, okay? I'm with you. But that's okay. And what that does is that gives us a little bit of humility, right? Because a lot of us are just like, I want to know what God's about. I should be able to answer this question. God, who are you? And I should be able to be answered. I deserve an answer. I want to know what you're about, God. I want to know everything about you. Says the person who doesn't know much about their spouse, right? <laughs> yeah, have you ever asked that question? What if, what if you knew everything there was to know about your spouse? How they think, how they act, what they said, their, enti- their entire past. Would you be able to say, I know everything about you? Who knows everything about their spouse? Everything. Everything? Everything. And most of us would say, no, I don't really know everything. I can't figure out anything about my wife. Right? It's like, yeah, it's like God created that woman. You think you're going to figure out him? You can't figure out her, right? It's going to, it's, it's, you're not going to be able to figure out everything about God. And that shouldn't produce anger. That should produce a good bit of humility within you that God is wondrously mysterious. He is also wonderfully loving. That God, the Father, loves his son. That he's proud of him. That God, that Jesus says that the Spirit is going to come and he is a comforter. He is better. It is better for the Spirit to come. That's what Jesus says. It is better for the Spirit to come and for me to leave you. Why? Because he loves the Holy Spirit. He has a loving relationship inside of the Trinity. And that should show us also how to love. And, so, and also it should show us how to worship. And she shows how to worship. Now, in a couple minutes, in the last song that we're going to do, it's an old song. It's called the Doxology, right? And it only has like four lines in it. It's a really, really old song, but it talks about praising God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I know that you might know it, not know it, but I hope that you'd sing it loud because it's a really easy song to learn. But it informs how we worship. It informs how we pray. We pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit. We pray to the Father through our mediator, which is the Son, Jesus. He gives us us a bridge to God, and we pray by the power of the Spirit. He empowers us. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, so it informs how we worship. Now, the second thing that that the, the Trinity or the study of the Trinity helps us with is our relationships with each other. Now, think about this, our relationships with each other. If you are married... What does the Bible say that, that when you are when you're married, you, you have a husband and you have a wife, and when you are married, you become one? That's interesting, isn't it? God didn't just make that up. That's who he was from the very beginning. So, Jesus, so he says, here, here's a husband, here's a wife. We're going to make them one, just as the Trinity is one. Now, is the husband and the wife the same person after they're married? No, they're distinct. But they're one at the same time. Anybody ever try to figure that one out? No, but we're like, oh, I don't get this whole God thing, but we're one together, right? The husband and the wife are one together, but you are, a, you are distinct persons, right? And so when, when, when you are as a husband, when you are creating plans for your family, when you're creating goals for your family, you are reflecting who the father is. When you are in your marriage, when you are serving and you're teaching and you're sacrificing, who are you reflecting? You are reflecting the son inside of your marriage. 
when you are comforting your spouse, when you are encouraging your spouse, when you are empowering your spouse to get these goals, to get these things done, these dreams done, what are you doing? You're reflecting the spirit inside of your marriage. When you're doing all these things and when you're mutually submitting to one another, when you're loving each other as husband and wife and you're saying, you are better than I am. I want to lift you up. And the other spouse comes on and says, absolutely, I want to lift you up as well. What are you doing? You are reflecting the spirit of God. You're reflecting the Trinity. Because you're one and you're distinct and you're submitting to one another. And so when you add kids to this equation, you really do kind of have your husband, you have a wife, you have kids, and all of this formulates together. Who's the most important person in the family? Well, everybody's important. There's not one person that's more important than the other. They're all distinct, but they all submit to one another. So as a parent, when you're disciplining your children, why are you disciplining them? Not because they want, you want them to be a good moral creature. It's because you're showing them how to mutually submit to you so that they would be able to parent children that will mutually submit to them so that they can reflect who God is inside of your family. It's not about your family. It's about reflecting who God is that created your family. And so lastly, and then another relationship is within the church. Our families within the church. Now it says this in 1 Corinthians 12. It'll be up on the screen. It says this, for just as, as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, uh, though many are one body, so it, is with, uh, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What is he saying? He's talking about the church here, and he's saying we are all one body together. This means that we're unified yet diverse at the same time. So as a church, the church at Cane Bay, we want to come together in unified corporate mission and unified corporate doctrine to say we are all on the same team. We're all moving in the same direction. We all want to move together, but yet we all have been gifted in different ways to serve the kingdom. And so that's why it's so important for us to have covenant partnerships. A lot of you might be on the fence about that, about whether you should join up with the church at Cane Bay. You might be, I'm just not really into that. I'm not really sure I want to do that. Think about that in the context of the Trinity. That God has gifted us this relationship and said, I want the church to be a small reflection of who I am. And you're saying, no, 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 I'm not really sure I'm engaged with that. I'm not sure I want to, you know, make that leap. I'm not really sure I want to do that. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm not sure I want to reflect the Trinity like that. We are unified. We're partners together and we want to reflect that. And so here's my final challenge to you. I want you to write this down. I want you to think about all those relationships. Think about your relationship with God. Are you humble? Are you are in wondrous amazement? Right? Your relationship with God. Think about your relationship in your marriage. If you're, if you're married, are you one together yet distinct and diverse? Are you mutually submitting to one another like the Trinity does? Think about that within your family, with your children. Or how about in this relationship with the church? Now here's the question, the challenging question. Are your relationships reflective of a relational God? Are your relationships reflective of a relational God? Your marriage, is it reflective of a relational God? Your parenting, is it reflective of a relational God? This church relationship, is it reflective of a relational God? And maybe you might need to work on that. And maybe the best option is for you to study who God is. And he will teach you how to work through that.
We're going to sing. We're going to sing about who God is. And so let me pray. Thanks for, uh, thanks for venturing through this with me. Thanks for journeying through this with me. It's been a wonderful labor of love to watch, uh, to watch us all kind of learn together. So let's pray. Father, you're great. Son, you are sacrificial. Holy Spirit, you empower. And so, Father, I ask that you would create within us an amazing plan that we might be able to glorify you and that we might be able to reflect who Jesus is in our lives. That we might be able to show the power of the Spirit. And God, I ask for the Spirit. I ask that he would fall down onto this place and fall into our lives so that we might be able to properly reflect who you are. I don't want to just praise the Father and love Jesus and forget the Spirit. Forget the one who fuels us and empowers us. So Spirit, I ask that you would come and be with us during these last moments of worship. Jesus, I ask that you would save sinners today. This was deep. It's a deep moment for our church. But God, I ask that you would use it to maybe save sinners today. That someone would would want you and desperately seek you. And Father, we give you the glory. We worship you now. Amen.